0: Feral Audio
1: All right, everybody. All right. Disco right. sucks. We all know this to be fact. Eh, it's actually
0: kind of cool. I like well, disco.
2: It, Dave just said it's a fact. So since Dave has declared it a fact, we can rest assured that disco is the most incredible music ever recorded by man. <laughs> and as you can hear by this track, "Rise" by Herb Albert, disco looked forward to the 1990s as if to say, "I wonder what Puffy Daddy is going to have to sample in 20 years."
3: And and well, the and, disco, and, it wasn't. The more disco I listen to, the more I like it. Especially this. So I don't think you're making your point very. Well, it was a phrase. show's for, over. As far what? as I'm concerned. You know
4: what? How about this point? You guys suck. You know, if there's one thing that uh, rock
1: dudes hate, it's uh, dancing and music that you're supposed to dance to. Well, you, fucking, you could just blow it all out your dicks. Despite the fact that disco sucks. From 1977 to 1980, this form of music dominated the dance clubs, the radio waves, and music charts. And during this very brief window, several artists that had nothing to do with disco decided to dabble. They experimented with incorporating the disco sound into their own songwriting. They added four on-the-floor beats, spacey synth sounds, strings, and funky bass riffs in an attempt to stay relevant, or possibly just to uh, keep up with the times. I guess that's the same thing. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it did not. Today we're going to dive into the deep end of the tacky, flashy, syphilitic pool. Welcome, dear listeners, as we count down the top songs by artists that decided to dip a toe in the disco waters. Welcome to Disco Dips. Beyond Yacht Rock.
0: Welcome
2: to the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast. An internet podcast creating new musical genres every week and counting down the top 10 songs in that genre. My name is J.D. Risno. Hollywood Steve. I'm Dave. J.D., you sounded great. Feeling good. Hunter. Hey, and because we, hey. we created the term Yacht Rock, and we know you guys know that, and that you love Yacht Rock so much that we throw a bone to that genre every week. Hunter, what are we listening to right
3: now? Well, show? so apparently today's show is about how disco sucks. That's not what, what the is show... All- <laughs> Uh, it isn't the case at all. You know, uh, yeah, all this sounds kind of cool. Yeah, I, I don't know why Dave is making that argument. And, God damn it! And, and turning it into a Halloween show It doesn't make any sense. Anyways, uh, nevertheless, I figured I'd drop a little Yatsko on us to prove Dave wrong again. Uh, Somebody so has this, to. This is to. It Ms. can't be
4: me all the time. This is
3: Ms. Patty Austin with "Every Home Should Have One" from her great album of the same name. Uh, you can hear that disco backbeat mixed with a nice little bounce and shuffle. It's it's smooth as fuck, too. I mean, you can't get any smoother than this. Uh, I guess I should mention that technically the artist on this album is Quincy Jones Presents Patti Austin, uh, but that seems a bit pedantic. Also, this song is written by the Dukes, Bugatti and
1: Musker. Yeah, co-written by Musker! Yeah, and, yeah, fuck Bugatti, right, Dave? Yeah, well... I would written that before you wrote it, and I only found Musker, but you dug deeper. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you think Musker does anything on his on his own? I don't know. He's probably always look underneath. The, uh, always look underneath the Musker. You're gonna find some Bugatti behind the Musker. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, yeah, we got some other names on this: Ernie Watts on sax, Richard T on keyboards, Bob James and Greg Fillengames on synth, Steve Lukather and Eric Gale on guitar. Ralph McDonald boots Paulino from percussion uh, and does the percussion and Chris Parker's on drums, who I only mentioned because he, Gail, and T are in the awesome jazz fusion band stuff and you guys should look them up.
1: Uh, they have a little disco in them and, and it's good and they too prove Dave wrong. Mm-hmm. As you and were Dave, reading that, I was really hoping Boots Paulino was... Uh a funky jazz dude.
2: <laughs> Paulino is on most of the other songs, it's but he, he booted. One. Got it. Learn to play the piano and change your name. Hmm. So Patty Austin, she's one of these female performers that like Brenda Russell and Diana Ross and Dion Warwick. And they all have like one or two great yacht rock albums in, under their sleeves, and this is one of them for Shiznizzle. I think there are more strong, I'm starting to get the feeling there's more strong yacht albums by like women than there are by front, men. Front to back total yeah, album. Yeah. I think we should Yachtski
1: One Live sometime. Yes. Uh, which one would you like to do? Which is your favorite? Uh, two Eyes seems to come up quite a bit. Ross is,
2: say that. Ross is pretty extraordinary. Might get some more butts in the seats if we say we're doing a Diana Ross yeah, album. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I, I will tell you, it's all very preliminary now, and this isn't the plug hole, but things are in the work for the new year.
2: Hmm. Live okay. live shows.
3: All right. Ah, news does.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, fantastic. So I went most of my life without hearing this song on the radio on a radio of some sort. I guess uh, two days in a row last week I heard this song. The first time I ran to my internet radio to see who it was, and I missed it. Uh, only to say, oh well, I'll never see that bone throw again. And then the next day it came up again, and I didn't hesitate to find out it was Patty
2: Austin. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, quite the happenstance. I've, um, bon- I've bone thrown another song from this as recommended yeah, by the first one. Tim Malcolm. He, Tim Malcolm turned me onto this album. Yeah, it's a great album. Uh, this is a great song. It's a mood lifter.
3: Uh, it's also listed as a remix. I guess the vinyl and concept version has less layers, and uh, the CD version has been overdubbed with what? Who knows? Because <laughs> uh, I have—I don't have it on vinyl yet. I need to, I need to find it. Uh, anyways, uh, it also has Baby Come To Me on it. I don't know why yeah. I don't have this album. And the, the one you've boned through. I, a- mm-hmm.
2: I actually think I have it. We should, yeah, listen- should the, compare uh, it to this song. The, uh, to it's tell me what it is. duet. Can anyways, regardless,
3: Dave, you're totally wrong about this song. It's great. Yeah. I like this song. No, um, you
2: don't.
1: It's a bit of a disco It's a disco, thing disco song, it. and
2: you said disco sucks. So Guys, it was,
1: it was a phrase that... No,
2: nah, yeah, you should have been more critical. You should have been more analytical about how you feel about disco and wow. not what people said about it in 1979.
1: Gosh. Also, you're a bit of a rockist. Huh. Uh, I, I did have a disco sucks sticker on the back of my car in the uh, early 90s. <laughs>
4: Because the early 90s, you really needed to make a strong
2: statement about uh, your preferences about disco. Um, I think uh, we're giving Dave a hard time right now, but I think Steve... But it's fun. You st- know. Steve, I think you really need to listen to this song. Oh, yeah? yeah. I think It's
3: time time to give Steve a hard time. Yeah, it, yeah. Gi-
2: it, gives, you, it gives you really good advice. Yeah, step um, up to the uh, plate, Steve. It's The lyric is You're basically... you wearing Dodgers caps, I think, to fuck with me. The the lyric in this song is, You need one good woman, every home should have one, right? Right, right. And I think it's good advice. You're a man with everything, Steve. You got walls of CDs, of yep, VCR, <laughs> yep. a view of Jiffy Lube. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, it's right across the street. But you're missing what the rest of us have. Women who can sexually tolerate our unusual penises. Every uh, home should have mm-hmm.
4: See, I just need to find a woman with a weirder vagina that's compatible with me. You know, it's kind of hard to find sometimes. You know, there's, there's
1: People your, don't necessarily
2: uh, advertise those things on the uh, the dating app. There's or, your headline you know? on J-Date. Yeah, well, it's called a soulmate. It's when your unusual penis fits inside of her weird vagina. It's your soul yeah. mate. It nothing to do with souls. It has to do with boning.
1: It's the old Cinderella fit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just don't feed it after midnight. Was that the thing?
2: Yeah. Turns into a gremlin. You're Did get... you
1: guys ever see the porn version of Cinderella? Uh, I saw Skinderella. <laughs> uh, that that really was different. soft. That was softcore.
4: Yeah, it was like a 70s softcore thing. Where C- Cinderella had a snapping pussy and the Prince Charming had to go find, like, he had to, like, fuck everybody to find where, uh, where his girl with the snapping pussy went. That's great. Like a, it, snapping pussy. Yeah.
1: No, that's where the like term. Like kept the beat? No, that's where the term snapper comes from. It's like a, it really, you know, grab onto you, give you a tug. All right, this is dumb. Ready to get into this? I am. I didn't write the porn version of Cinderella. All right.
3: That would have been a cool story if you had.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Much more interesting than the story you told. The uh, Okay, I'm going to let this what one kind of kind of cook for a little bit, because uh, it's not obvious what it is. Because it's great, because it's disco. Yeah, I'm going to let you guys soak this in. you got some pure disco coming up here. The bongos, the space sounds. A little bit of clunk rocks. Uh, pure, pure those pure disco bongos. Get kick in. yeah! Percussion's important, Hunter.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah a yeah, wise we, man told me that. Yeah, wait even longer. This is this is good. This is sewing sewing yeah, anticipation. Here it is. It's an art. Sewing anticipation is an art. It's a difficult one to master. Yet it appears this fellow fellow has a PhD from the University of Check this out. No wait, wait for it. State. It's fucking Star Wars. Oh hear, hear boy. That.
1: When I was 5 or 6, I wanted the Empire Strikes Back soundtrack and my parents got this for me. Not only was it the thinnest record I'd ever received, it was fucking disco, man.
2: Which is great, but
1: what do you mean by thin exactly? I brought I brought it in uh-huh. to show you. Uh-huh. This is that is the, the exact action. one? This is the one. He's removing it. <laughs> Oh
3: yeah, yeah yeah. Hey Dave, I got a question. Careful, it, don't break it. Does it say flexi disc on there? It does
1: not. Okay, because I have a bunch of flexi discs. Yeah. And this which, is uh, this is one step up of the the free, like paper thin record you would get inside a book or a magazine. Oh yeah, that's a flexi oh, yeah. disc. That's, that. that's a flexi
3: disc. Yeah. Then they started applying that to other albums and they're it's basically uh, it's basically a vinyl sheet
4: of paper and total shit.
0: Yeah.
3: No. We, we've all heard Mecco. That's really good. I thought that's what he was referring yeah. to. I thought he picked the wrong one. But Ed, no, no, no. Mecco's no. really good. This is this is garbage. Yeah. I looked it up, and, and Dave just brought it. It's it's literally called "Music from the Empire
1: Strikes Back." Yeah. You can see how my
3: <laughs> with with ha- Han and Leia on the cover. I can see how your and doesn't Han
1: kind of look like Luke the way it's drawn? See.
4: Oh, you just
1: lost it. Yeah, I just threw it. You know. <laughs> Fuck that album. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah that's that's clearly Leia,
4: but it's not quite clear, right. Which male star of maybe, Star Wars? Well, that's maybe that's over. Boris. Now, now I need to know. Yeah, that's probably maybe. Boris. Yeah, maybe Boris drew himself on there. I mean, it makes, it's, it's make hard. you
2: make you look like me. <laughs> so, uh, so this is what you're talking about. This is it's not it's disco what I'm, covers of movie theme. This is not what I'm talking about today. Taking an existing
1: song and making it disco, not like uh, Herb Albert up at the top was clearly trying for a dab of disco in the opening song Rise. Uh, Rise was actually one of the last charting disco hits. Hmm. Hmm. It's moving on here. Which chart? Billboard 100. That's a good one. Yeah.
3: Alright, I'm back. I picked it up.
1: Here we go. Uh, in 1977, the movie Saturday Night Fever came out and introduced the mainstream to disco.
2: Which is weird, because that movie is borderline unwatchable. You
1: know, you're right. I should have said the soundtrack yeah. introduced <laughs> the mainstream
2: the trailer. to disco. Yeah. Uh, in
1: 1978, struggling new wave post-punk band Blondie released a new album called Parallel Lines. Back in 74, they'd written a song called Once I Had a Love that was inspired by the Blackula soundtrack writers, the Hughes Corporation. The song had a bit of a disco feel and was referred to by the band as the Disco Song. Then in 1978, when producer uh, Mark Chapman, no relation to Mark David Chapman, (laughs) was prepping the band to record, he asked them to play all other songs. When the band was done, he said, the last thing a band wants to hear, Do you have any other songs? And they said, Just this dumb disco one. Mark Chapman got the old dollar signs in his eyes, and this song hit number one. Mike Chapman was Blondie's producer. Oh, Mark,
4: Mark David... Mark David Chapman is the guy who shot John Lennon. Oh,
1: Oh, Catcher in the Rye fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good good book. Literary <laughs> fan. The uh, artists we're looking at today all have the same thing in common. Whether it was an attempt for a cash grab, a grasp at relevance, or simply just being inspired by the current musical climate, all of these artists decided to go disco.
2: And they have another thing in common, which is that they all have artistic integrity and a resume of like really solid, groundbreaking music. And most of them do. No. Um, so this playlist is actually full of some of the greatest, or at least most interesting, disco songs you're gonna find. No. Yeah. Um, these are real artists putting their unique talents into music that garbage producers usually turn into turds on tape. I don't know. I, I, I think the the larger
4: question here is how do you react to the world changing around you? I, can you adapt to it while you're still maintaining your core identity and your personal strong points? That explains or your sandals. do you wander adrift, desperate to stay relevant, and convince people that you're still cool? Just like this new stuff everyone thinks is cool. Yeah. That's why I'm wearing sandals right now. Also it's 100 degrees out in October. And you're wearing jeans. Huh. Yeah, but I don't want He's to show my... He's he got you there. I don't want to show my... got you there. I do not want to show he has got you there i do not want to show my legs.
1: Yeah, because your feet are so sick.
4: I'm ashamed of most of my body, but my feet I don't give a fuck about. So there we go. Yeah. A
1: couple things. Growing out your toenails?
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> couple things. Wearing a sports hat there, Dave, because you love sports so much.
2: I All like, right, you I, too. I look good in my room.
3: Uh, a couple things I wanted want to bring up. One, Boris Midney does kind of look like uh, uh, Han Solo. Okay. Uh, he looks, yeah. Um, also, uh, this is great, Dave. I don't know why what your thing is about disco. Well, I love disco. this. Why Why do you hate it this so much? Why is one of my sucks? Songs. I don't get it. Anyways, I don't, I think, love, you're, I don't think you're proving your own list. point. I think you're ruining your point. Disco sucks was a... You know what? We know what it is.
2: Go, go over your timeline here, Dave. Let's keep this this truck moving. All
1: right. Um, I mentioned that in '77, Saturday Night Fever brought what was an underground New York and Philly dance scene into the mainstream. By February of 79, disco dominated the Grammys, and a backlash was starting. Summer of 79, there was the famous disco demolition night at Comiskey Park, where the White Sox actually had to forfeit their second game of a doubleheader to the Tigers after crowds rushed the field following a local radio stunt nice. wh- where they blew up a shitload of disco albums. Nice, bro! In July of 79, there were six disco songs in the top ten. By September, there was just one, Herb Albert's Rides. By 1980, disco was dead. 78 to 80, pretty narrow window for these guys to dip and dip. They did. Uh, can I briefly mention why most of 70s America hated disco? Yeah, it was both gay and black. All you're, right, you're continue. absolutely right. right. No, that's who hated minorities in one. A protest uh, backlash from the uh, disco demolition night started. People were like, "No, that's not what it's about. Make
2: America great again." Oh man, I'm so depressed now. Hey. You want to give in a
0: countdown? Yeah, sure. All right, this is a brand new song. It's called Number 10. <laughs> Number 10!
1: Sweet. Okay, starting off a little weak on the disco here, but it'll kick in in a second. This is Stephen Stills with Can't Get No Booty.
4: Oh boy, that sounds like a perfect idiom for Steven Stills. Yeah, to be yeah. In. the
1: song pretty much sucks, but it's fascinating. and I really wanted to talk about it and have it on the show. It's from the Stills' uh, Stephen Stills's 1978 thoroughfare Gap, uh, which aside from being a civil war battlefield has some real shit reviews. All music said a rather poor attempt of Steven Stills to adapt the disco craze. Uh, they even went as far as to get Andy Gibb to sing background on the album. This one sounds a little bit country to me. And in the tradition of country music being four years behind, it's interesting to notice that a country disco crossover existed well into the early 80s. Uh, I credit this song as being the birth of country pop.
2: Hmm. Well, I'm, I think this is a great example. <laughs> country um, disco pop. <laughs> I, I think this is a good the example curve. of uh, disco dippers we'll be meeting today, as I mentioned earlier. Like, they all seem to be like. Well, sure, I'll give Disco one half-assed try, but I'm going to do it in my style so I only lose 80% of my integrity. This has that sound, that Laurel Canyon folk rock sound, so you can hustle to it. So good job, Stills, who I once watched from the wings while he performed with Neil Young, while Crosby and Nash were standing on either side of me. I'll offer that story anytime. time. Crosby, Riz, and Nash. In a wonderful moment. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just reminiscing. Yeah? Uh-huh.
1: Did, 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 what did it smell like?
2: Nothing. It smells like kimchi burps
1: over here. Uh, this, to me, sounds like a standard Joe Walsh,
3: R.I.P. R.I.P. Joe Walsh. Uh, uh, standard Joe Walsh song, except with the word booty, which makes <laughs> it a little more disco. <laughs> Doesn't it sound like a Joe Walsh song? It does. It does. It yeah, does. Yeah, it does. It it's like, does. my
1: Maserati goes, I can hear uh, they said Joe
4: Walsh wouldn't say that he can't get booty. No, that guy's. Because life's been too good. To, like, Joe Walsh gets a lot of booty. That and guy's an ass
1: deep him. in ass.
4: Yeah, and yeah. This,
2: disco's usually more confident in that. Uh, yeah. so I think if this song were called, like, I Can Get Booty, it would have been a bigger hit. Or, no. like, Getting Your Booty. Yeah. Uh, this On was, the Dance Floor. This
1: was the last solo album Stills did for quite a while. He wouldn't make another one for six years. Maybe it was because he began touring with Crosby, Stills, and Nash again right before this was released. Or maybe it was because this entire album feels like more of a fulfillment of a contract obligation than an honest work of artistic expression. But here's the kicker. I found out that Stills has some disco street cred. Motherfucker played percussion for the Bee Gees on You Should Be Dancing.
2: There you go. He learned a thing yeah. or two.
1: Wrap your head around that one.
2: And when I listen to the Joe Walsh thing, the difference here and and Joe Walsh, I've been listening. Whoa! This, it, whoa! It's, That's it's, it's that parts is, like that. Yeah. And it's also there's a that octave bass thing that disco has. That boom boom boom
0: boom boom boom.
2: Yeah, it's they a syncopated the, bass. They, they don't. They play. Bom, the, they bom, they bom, play, bom. No, they play the bass on the octaves. So they'll, they'll go boom 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 boom. Yeah. Yeah. That boom bow boom bow
1: boom bow. Like the theme to Heart to Heart. Yeah. Not see. the not the login song, but the the TV, TV show yeah. about the married detective. Oh, no, no,
2: yeah. no, that's not really what I'm talking about. No, right.
1: we should do that some more though.
2: Okay. Almost an oompa. Yeah, it's kind of an oompa.
0: This is one of our older songs, but it still kicks ass. It's called Number Nine. Number
1: Nine. There we go. This is a bit of a tough one for me. I love The Clash, but I never really loved this song. This is Magnificent Seven off of Sandinista. Why didn't you like it?
3: Because Disco Socks Dave? No, it's just... <laughs> yes? I'll I get Big into it. it here.
1: I'll get into it here. I have a very specific memory of discovering The Clash. I was at a hard rock cafe waiting for a table in Orlando... Probably around 6th oh. or 7th grade. Man,
2: Dave is really good at like sneaking brags into his writing for the show, isn't he? Well,
1: I also had a Red Hot Chili Peppers phase, so my life wasn't always the awesomeness of the Hard Rock Cafe or Orlando. Alright, alright, Mr. Cool
2: Vacations as a kid.
1: Uh, I put money in the jukebox and played the song London Calling because the name sounded really cool, and when it came on, I was obsessed. I'd heard Rock the Casbah and Should I Stay or Should I Go, but this was different, this was badass, and I did what any 6th or 7th grader would do, and I went out and bought the greatest hits. This track was one that I always skipped, and honestly, it always seemed like kind of a disco song to me, and I think that's why I skipped it. Mm -hmm. Yep.
2: Yep. You should just embrace the fact that you think disco sucks. Because you've been denying it ever since we took you to task on it.
1: I I was obsessed with Saturday Night Fever in high school. I made, uh, uh, we had to do a parody, we had a a video of Julius Caesar. I made one called Saturday Night Caesar, Mm -hmm. where I set Julius Caesar in the disco era. It was fantastic. Great soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you going to read the script for an episode sometime? Uh, I think it might be Lost to the Ages. Uh (laughs) Here's where this selection gets Steve Ages, he took it. Mick Jones was a huge fan of early hip-hop, and he started carrying around a boombox, earned him the name Wack Attack. Strummer made up the lyrics on the spot, and it's widely credited as being the very first rock song to attempt hip-hop, because they did it six months before Blondie did Rapture. But God damn it, the beat and the bass of all this really make it a disco song for me.
2: Um, but Rappers Delight was rapped to a disco beat and released the same year as this, so this counts. To these guys, it was probably these American, or wait, a, these, these American blacks, wait, hold on, hold on. Oh, 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 these American blacks found a way to make disco cool, oh, oh. Jesus Christ, man. Well, know, there was there was always a, there was a
4: subset of the post-punk movement that really embraced disco-type dance beats, like Gang of no. especially. This one I hear, I hear it's like disco, but filtered through dub reggae. Like when you have like the weirdly mixed yeah. rhythm
1: section and with that's kind of the faraway. That's also upper the direction end. the clash was really going that time, yeah. was reggae.
2: A song like this reminds me of like the happy Mondays and that scene, the 24-hour party people scene that oh, The Manchester scene. The Manchester mm-hmm. scene. Mad Chester. Yeah. Mad Chester, yeah.
1: It's, it's fun. Uh, the bass part on this song was played by Norman Watt Roy, who was from the band The Blockheads, more commonly known as Ian Dury and the Blockheads, which I'm sure you all remember from Hunter's rock band episode. They played Spasticus Autisticus that got them banned from the BBC. These guys all ran around together and frequently collaborated on each other's crap. Like uh, any uh, real music scene. So, in conclusion, The Clash is a very complex band full of contrast.
0: This song for our true fans that are stuck with us. It's called Number 8.
1: Ah, finally a music video where Paul and his band look like a whole pack of Falcos.
2: And let me describe the, the pace job that Dave did in the outline here. Uh, so, first we have a picture of Paul McCartney looking like Falco. And next we've got a picture of Falco. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for clarifying that for us here in the room.
4: Great visual
2: joke for
1: the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, that was more for you guys. Uh, I, I believe I talked about something once, and Hunter said if you're going to talk about it, you got to put a picture in the document. <laughs> no, uh, so don't there, to Hunter's there, there you rules. go. Hunter's got good rules. Uh, this is. I, don't, I can't remember what it was. No, I don't remember anything. I just, I just. You like, guys talk about your dicks a lot. So I, I just, that's... I just have clip art of Falco ready to go. <laughs> there was a chance to use it. This is the band Wings with "Good Night Tonight," which was a single and didn't appear on the album that it was made for. The album was "Back to the Egg." In case anyone gives a shit. Uh, I don't understand why you. Don't put a song like this on
3: an otherwise forgettable el- album. Is it the runtime? Like, why did they do this in the '70s, especially in, in England? I, I,
2: you only fit so much
4: music on a vinyl. In England, they're just not as uptight as Americans are about putting singles on albums.
3: Why? Why? But why wouldn't you do that? I just don't understand why. You just
4: like. Because before the album format took over, you would record a hot new song. You want to get it out there. You don't wait to put it on an album. You get it out there now so it can be a big hit, make you money.
3: Doesn't ah, I mean, make sense. If you get it out there, release it as a single, then put it on their album. You got to wait for all the re-releases in, in the 2000s to get it back on the album. I
2: tell you something. Look at you, T Rex. <laughs> tell you something, Dave. Tell you what surprised mm-hmm. me about this song is that Wings was still making music in 1979. Yeah. Uh, Paul would ditch this dead weight the next year and come out with the revolutionarily bonkers album McCartney 2. Temporary secretary, anyone? Bonkers. Bonanza bonkers, that album. Yeah, Wings
3: made it to 1981, and we'd have to live with a large Wings-filled hole in our hearts until 1990. When Wings returned directly after Cheers to form a formidable Thursday night lineup, and the beginnings of what would become must-see TV. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finally got our wings back. It, yeah.
2: William Hickey uh, was uh, joined at that point. Is oh, that uh, after Stephen, Linda's uh, death? Uh, you hear the
1: obvious uh, disco tropes here, most obviously the syncopated bass line. Uh, before ba- Paul was in Wings with Linda McCartney and other heavy hitters, he was in a Liverpool bass band called The Beatles. The Beatles. One of his bandmates, John Legend, remarked, I really don't care for the song, but I do enjoy Paul's bass line. Uh, John was later gunned down by Mark David Chapman, no relation to Mike Chapman, the following year. <laughs> it's not clear if this song had anything to do with his murder.
3: Hey. Wasn't he
4: in the Silver Beatles?
1: Are you thinking of the Shitty Beatles? <laughs>
4: I was—I I don't know, I was listening to this song again Because I, had, I hadn't heard it in a while It feels a little slight to me Like <clears throat> like Paul's interested in trying this disco thing on for size He wants to feel what that groove might be like underneath him But in the end, he isn't feeling it quite enough To really develop this into anything more
1: You hear those synthy space sounds?
0: Pew 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 I
1: call
2: that development Yeah, yeah.
1: Is that octave bass line in there?
2: Um, Kind of Sort of There's a bouncy bass
1: Well shockingly enough this turd hit number 5 In the US It was behind the Village People Susie Quattro, Donna Summer and Peaches and Herb Not surprisingly Adam Sandler used this turd in his 2010 epic Grown Ups Part 1
2: Go easy on the Sandman He gave me a lot of laughs when I was 15 Has there been a Grown Ups Part 2? What's that? Yes. Has there been a growth
4: part
0: two? There has. There has been. Yeah. Yeah. How about part five? Not yet. Wait, I don't wait, wait for it. it. This song got us banned from playing several colleges. We don't give a fuck. It's called number seven. Number seven!
1: It's good bumpers. <laughs> um, okay. I'm not a Grateful Dead fan. I'll be the first to admit it. I don't even like spelling their name correctly. I will. Ho- it's true. He didn't like know.
4: spelling their name correctly.
1: I will, however, hand it to them here. They really dipped a toe into some disco on this one.
3: Yeah, without the baggage, I think this would otherwise be a pretty fun disco Yeah. Disco song. Disco yeah, rock song.
1: It's, it's almost got like um, another one bites the dust kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Drummer Mickey Hart had co-writing credits on this one, which wasn't super common for him, but he managed to sneak more than a a couple turds into what is the Grateful Dead's overall (laughs) shit sandwich. Uh, What's interesting, he states that the inspiration for the song came from his interest in disco, specifically, once again, the Bee Gees. See,
2: I have a theory. So the Grateful Dead had a real problem with uh, more fans showing up in the parking lot that would come to the show. They were looking for miracles, which were free tickets. They'd go be in the parking lot giving peace signs going, Hey, I'm looking for a miracle. Anybody got a miracle? They wanted people to give
0: them. Right.
2: So the fans became such a nuisance to the point that the venues were threatening to cancel shows. So I figured, you know, the dead would release a song like this so far out of their sound. This is the most anti-deadhead sound of the day, so you might, you know, get rid of some of those hippie parasites. Do you think that's why they did it, Dave? Could be. Do it's you a think good that's why? Yeah. That's Maybe. my theory.
1: Maybe. Either that or they just uh, were influenced by the disco thing and wanted to alienate their fans, which is kind of what they... they like, they, there was a lot of blowback from this one. Um... Yeah. I don't know, this one
4: doesn't really work for me But then again,
1: most Grateful Dead songs don't it Doesn't work for you as a disco song or as Yeah, well, how does it either, not work for you? Either, either uh, Oh, this is totally a disco I song I think
4: But it's I don't like it as a disco song And I think the reason Is that disco works best when it implies fucking And nothing about the Grateful Dead's music Suggests to me that they have ever fucked anyone or anything I can only assume that they all secretly died virgins they had, no, they had drugs. They yeah. fucked a lot. They yeah, the drugs. yeah, they, yeah. Were a, they were in a rock
1: band and had drugs.
4: <laughs> Prove it. Uh, I don't well, have, not they, the drugs. Yeah. Prove that they fucked. And they had drugs. They had
2: kids. Oh. <laughs> that's well, good what if proof. There was, <laughs> what if it was in vitro? Uh, uh, every single one. Oh. Yep, yep, I think you're onto something, Steve. Uh, the band. Oh boy. <laughs> it was that. an
3: early technology back then, yeah. but I mean.
1: It was more of a turkey
2: baster and a Dixie Cup. They were rich, en- <laughs> they were rich enough to try it. Yeah. Plenty of money for Dixie Cups. Uh,
1: oh boy, did the fans hate this one. They accused the band of selling out to disco and mainstream baiting. Dead fans wouldn't roll mainstream their eyes. Mainstream baiting? <laughs> mainstream baiting. Yeah, you got that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Dead fans wouldn't roll their eyes this hard until a bunch of people that I went to high school with started to refer themselves as as deadheads and began listening to Touch of Grey in the mid-90s. I dated a cheerleader that called a guy a poser for liking this song. She was a cheerleader. She was in a deeper cuts like Casey Jones of Fire on the Mountain, and man, did it get bad when I went to college. People started discovering the dead, and it's probably why I never got into weed because just the whole culture of it sort of. It was a little repellent to me.
2: You should try vaping CBD oil. I got I got some last week. I uh, started vaping. CBD. CBD? What is that? It's uh, the Weed has two elements. THC, which makes you high, and yeah. CBD, which has all the medicinal benefits. Ah. CBD, it, CBD always has a little bit of THC in it, but mm-hmm. for the most part, it just makes you feel calm and good. Makes sure you want to eat a sandwich. Ooh. Listen, Riz is a weed guy now. I love sandwiches. Uh, this song is actually starting to sound pretty darn good to me. <laughs> I don't know, I,
4: There one secondary reason that I never really got into weed was I was afraid it would make me think that shitty hippie music was actually kind of okay. I will, man. I'm just trying to chill out for these crunchy
3: grooves. I, I listened to The Grateful Dead a little bit. Yeah. I never I never found them that great, but respected them for touring. Because at the time, I valued live performances to studio chemistry. It was the mid-to-late 90s. Uh, the problem with The Dead and the other band genre obsession... that the force... It, it like, forces blind adherence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, this is definitely one of
2: these types of music people. I prefer...
3: There's something about the human condition that really pulls us all to that. Like, larger groups.
2: I prefer artists without that blind adherence that has conquered some.
3: But, uh, anyways... uh, It's a
2: never-surrender lyric, guys. Oh. Sorry. I'm sorry, Hunter. Anyways, it doesn't matter.
3: Uh, Uh, Uh... but then again, I've always been a poser. Like your <laughs> your, girlf- your cheerleader girlfriend would have hated me. I think she would have
4: found you very handsome. This thing.
0: song's about politics, real politics. It's called Number Six. Number Six.
1: Yeah. You hearing that? Whoa. Holy portable radio (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, talk about a desperate grasp to stay relevant This Snake Charmer is 1979's Here Comes the Night by the Beach Boys Originally recorded in 1967 for the Wild Honey album They decided to turn it into a disco song I know I said the genre isn't just adding a disco beat to an already popular song This one changed it so much it's almost unrecognizable And also the original was never popular So piss off
3: Uh, I've never heard this, but I think it's pretty great.
1: Yeah, it's so far what I've heard. Yeah.
3: It's a fun song. Why do you think disco sucks, Steve?
2: I think this is a good time to talk about disco dips and snake charmer and the Venn diagrams of the two. Um, I don't think many of these songs are snake charm caliber disco dips. Uh, Yeah, a few of them are embarrassing, but...
4: So far, they, they I mean, a, other than the Steven Stills one, I haven't. It, it hasn't really been like, oh my god, yeah. I'm
2: cringing. And even that was in his wheelhouse f- for the most part, sort um, of. Um, but this one, like, hooey, this is this Venn diagram is yeah. just one circle, son. Yeah. So here's my
3: thing with snake charming. I think it's like a catch-all term. I don't think a Venn diagram is really appropriate unless it's swallowing all the other genres where old guys try to make modern music, which is a shit ton of stuff easily can easily d- be divided genre by genre uh, but then again I'm sure I don't quite get Snake Charmers like I, how I think Divorce chorus songs about divorce but apparently they're about the deaths of Marvin Gaye and uh,
2: Jackie Wilson oh mm-hmm. man you gotta go back deep into the Yachting Yachts for that reference Marvin well, my the point is, my genres that I come up with are so complex and nuanced they kind of go over <laughs> Hunter's head a little bit. Yeah, yeah.
1: really, they really they might
2: be a little too heady for your average yeah. listener. Yeah, I mean, for Michigan State students, graduates. Yeah. <laughs>
3: The, the thing, but snake Char- it's
2: three against one in this room, buddy. Yeah, that's why none of you guys get me because you're not smart enough. Okay. But snake we charming. We can't talk re- about jizz that long. <laughs>
3: it really is a catch-all of like you could break it down to like sub like. Uh, I, oh, I, 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 I will. Okay, so this is this is whatever. I, I will say that not all of this. I would say not all of these songs are snake charming because a lot of these artists are young and or currently relevant at the time they made yeah. it. So I guess a Venn diagram would work. Yeah. So In this, it would be outside. It would be a big giant uh-huh. snake charmer and then a little bit
2: of other stuff. Okay. With a little bit hanging on the outside. Because Beach Boys had another snake charmer like the next year that I'm going to yeah. feature the snake charmer show. Um,
1: yeah. But this one, this one's just pure disco schlock. Four on the floor beat that drives it, some space voices, a little wah-wah on the guitar, and of course, the disco strings. And you hear that your your bass part's coming up here, JD. This is there's no boom, disco bongos. Yeah, yeah. where are the disco bongos? They're not in this one. But that's not necessary. I said percussion is important, not necessary. Get it together, Hunter. Right. This is a paint by numbers attempt at a disco hit. Also, this is one song I doubt we'll be repeating today because it's over eleven fucking minutes long. Now it certainly is I a, bet we could do it. It certainly isn't as bad as you Brian want to talk Wilson's, more about uh, Venn Diagrams? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Maybe we could talk about that uh, the bass line in this.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, they really ticked all the box on this one. I can only imagine this song is uh, the one that the shitty club DJ in uh, the shitty club put on when he had to take a shit and didn't want to miss his segue. Oh, here's 11 minutes. I can go uh, jerk off, take a shit, and call my mom. Do you think anybody played this in the club? <laughs> <laughs> Which club? I'll, I'll bet... Uh, the shitty club. Vens. I'll bet uh, Mike Love like showed up he's like, hey man, have you heard this new Beach Boys release? Like in a trench coat and glasses and then sat in the back. <laughs> I think they played this one at like Studio... 17. Uh, Studio 53. Uh, there may have been some uh, younger parents, like maybe early 40s uh, in the uh, 1970s, that were like, Well, I want to get these disco kids into my music. Here's our meeting point. I mean, there there are these periodic little bits that, like, are you going to
4: hear the Beach Boys trying consciously to sound like the Beach Boys? Uh,
2: like, hey, we're those guys you remember do 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 Or whatever Did they use the original vocal recordings from 1967 And just put the beat underneath it? Or did they re-record it? I would have to imagine a little bit of both This would have been a weird song If
3: it didn't have that disco beat on
2: the
3: back of it
1: I think maybe some of the backup vocals were reused But the singing, the main, the lead has got to be redone
2: I think the lead is Mike Love If I'm hearing correctly Anything else, boys?
0: No (laughs) 50 songs from 50 soundtracks sounding in
1: it a track and here we go 50 songs from
0: 50 soundtracks we got america on the run
4: <laughs> fuck yeah is this one of the greatest movie themes ever written or is this one of the greatest movie themes ever written The correct answer is yes. This is one of the greatest movie themes ever written. Of course, this is uh, Holiday Road by Lindsey Buckingham. Uh, Hunter, you know how I always bitch about Kiss repeating the same hook over and over and over in their songs without any sort of development or pacing or variation? I think I remember that. Yeah. See, if Kiss's hooks were as good as this, it wouldn't even matter. Just like it doesn't matter here, this is great.
2: And Kiss would never put dog barks and doorbells and shit into the mix, uh, unless it would make them money. (laughs) Unless they could copyright the dog barks. That's a good idea, guys.
4: And the reason Lindsey Buckingham does that, he's really just looking for ways to pad this song out past two minutes. Uh, He clearly does not give a shit about this song. And that's how talented he is. He can crap out hooks this catchy and infectious in his sleep, smell what he just crapped out, and go, ew! I'm not gonna do much with this. I'm not even gonna think of more than two rhymes for the verses. Here's a weird, noisy guitar solo in the middle. And it's still this insanely brilliant earworm. Uh, I looked, I didn't realize it, but there was a video for this song. Uh, Lindsay's trapped in this big warehouse-looking space. They clearly just rented out a warehouse and put some, like, box desks in it. There's a bunch of bored office workers. He's uh, dressed up like a slightly glammed-up Charlie Sheen. He just kind of walks around very, very slowly. And when he lip-syncs, he barely moves. And he just stares directly into the camera until all you you can focus on is the guyliner he's wearing. And he comes off as really serious and kind of creepy, which is not what the song sounds like at all. But... It is in keeping with his general aesthetic of expending as close to zero energy on Holiday Road as he possibly can. And what's funny is it's far and away the most remembered song of his solo
2: career, even though it only hit like number 82 on the charts. Oh, and don't forget, the video also has a lot of slow-motion water spills. So yeah, it's a really nice up, 80s cliché. They fill up a
4: lot of time with that. The water splash just keeps going and going. Like, yeah, it's, it's like a Ned Doheny, Doheny
1: album cover. <laughs> <laughs>
4: And this song is barely available anywhere. The original studio version isn't on any imprint CD. I don't think it ever has been. Is that, it is on I Spotify. I think it was. It true? was on.
1: I think it was on uh, European Vacation soundtrack. Okay, that might have been on CD. I don't remember. Yeah. Oh, I,
4: I'm not. I think the original. CD, I, the original movie didn't have, uh, they may not have even had a soundtrack released on Well, guys, on vinyl. Have
1: they, I, they do. I, I, I have it, but I don't think this was on it. This didn't come into the second one, did Have
4: it? I
3: got a story for you. Oh, now boy. I'm going to break into this because I didn't know this was coming. I didn't know this was not available. So, years and years ago, they, uh, was it Magic Mountain? Which is, yeah. that's where they filmed. Six Flags, Magic Mountain, that's Wally World. Wally World was. They, re- they gave out a CD of all the National Lampoon songs and I specifically got it because it had new looks yeah. by Dr. John on it and that yeah, was the was only good. way I could get new looks. I'm pretty sure, I have it on CD at home, it's like there was like a thousand or two thousand, They, I have them yeah. and I'm pretty sure, I'm 99.9% sure this song is also on there makes it even rarer. Yeah. I'll bring it in and show you. I'll yeah, make you a right. copy. I'll burn you guys a copy. Awesome. Ooh.
4: Whoever's in charge of curating the National Lampoon musical legacy, you're doing a shit job. Because we love the music from yeah. that show. Yeah. There's demand for your product.
1: Yeah, Plastique Patron uh, but- was in European Vacation. That was a great fucking soundtrack. That's how I discovered Plastique Patron.
4: Oh. I, uh, well, I found that's how. on a Rhino New Wave Hits compilation. Huh. <laughs> Uh, But, you know, the National Lampoon people are not the only ones neglecting this song. Lindsey Buckingham rarely performs it or really even talks about it. But you can find a live version uh, from an album called Live at the Bass Performance Hall from 2008. It's the only Lindsey Buckingham album that song is on. And... uh, as the song ends, he starts growling and barking along with the dog sound effects. Uh, copyright Lindsey Buckingham. Yeah. He just goes, <laughs> bark, 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 bark like a dog, bark like a dog. It's it's bananas, and I recommend that you listen to it. It just illustrates the fucking contempt that he holds this piece of music in for whatever reason. Um, so... Uh, When they redid National Lampoon's Vacation in 2015, they had the Zac Brown Band cover this, and their version sucks because they're country guys who don't want to do any of the high vocals because they're men, they're hard-working men. Either that or they just don't have the range to do them, and again that's because they're hard-working men. But that's not all. The soundtrack producers also had another guy cover it named Matt Pond P.A., and actually apparently the P.A. is part of the name of Matt Pond's band, Matt Pond PA I guess he's Because he's from Philly But that guy Matt Pond And Matt Pond PA They make it into This depressing Elliott Smith Iron and wine Type Sad sack Indie singer Songwriter Overdubbing himself In in his bedroom At three in the morning What was your genre What was
2: your genre name I just said Beards and banjos One day And it seemed to fit Yeah
0: Yeah. That's gonna work Yeah
2: um, European Vacation. This is, this is this is from this is from Vacation One, but European Vacation, Vacation Two. It was also in there. Oh, I'm sure it was because they had to know their goal. The intro
1: know? music. They were stamping uh, passports and
2: it's iconic. They didn't yeah. ever release it on CD. It's dumb. So European. I got it. It's, <laughs> That's one of those early movies that I got my hands on that had boobs in it. Yeah! Like, I keep remember like, I remember the boobs as being, like, super huge, <laughs> and then the German girl, when the German girl, you know, she shows her boobs to Rusty, mm-hmm. uh, I, they, they were the biggest boobs I've ever seen in my mind But then I, I did some research yesterday And I found the image of those boobs <laughs> Yeah, and
1: researching the podcast
2: They're not that big at all and They're nice They're nice looking little boobs But they're not the big biggies that and, burned into my mind You know,
1: they were probably seem bigger Because your hands were so small When you were holding them up to the screen <laughs> When you were nine yeah, yeah. Uh, I know the scene you're talking about Rusty's about to touch boobs in Germany When Clark pisses off the town by slap dancing Starts a fight And they decide to kill him and the family has to run. And while most of the movie was filmed on location in Europe, that scene was shot later on the Universal Studios back lot. And you can see the hills of Griffith Park in the background. There's your location's fun fact.
2: All right. Oh, I had Holiday Road Live all queued up when I forgot to play it. Oh, oh uh, just skip to the end. Oh, we. Yeah, let's
1: move on. Yeah, we've been on this for 10 minutes. <laughs>
0: it's worth it. Anyone who doesn't like this song can fuck off. It's called number five. Number five. Yeah,
1: I like this one. It's one of my favorites on the list. I put this <laughs> in my. I put this in my top five. I'm gonna <laughs> say this is.
3: There's this, a reason why this is one of your favorites. That
4: huh? little beat right there sounds like one of the pre-programmed rhythms on my grandma's old 1970s electric organ that she had in her condo.
1: No, uh, where'd it go?
4: Uh, I think it's in my sister's house now. That's Ooh,
1: probably she, still she, there. She, Those she, things she, are heavy as fuck. <laughs> no, we had to sell the condo. Oh. Uh, Anyways. Morgan didn't stay with it. Here we go. This is from The Who's 1982 album, It's Hard, <laughs> which features an Atari Video arcade game on the cover as an updated reference to the pinball wizard. The uh, name of the album is a reference to Pete Townsend's Wiener when he thinks about underage boys.
2: Hey-oh! Uh, that video game is actually a trap for teen boys. You know, they see that and they go, Oh, what okay, game is this then? And they walk in and the trap closes, and then the video game is, isn't fun for very long mm-hmm. when Uncle Pete comes in to help them yeah. out.
3: Uh, I never thought about this as a disco song. It's very, it's s- it's very sneaky. Yeah. Yeah. When, you, when you do that. Makes it even more disco. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's sneaky. It, also sneaky is the words "eminence front." Not really a term that fits a song, especially a disco song. Up until probably my mid twenties, I thought they were saying "living in a funk," uh, but I was probably projecting. JD, didn't you think they were saying "chopping in a suey"? Yeah, chopping in the suey.
1: Yeah. You, in the suey. Yeah. you heard "living in a funk"? Yeah, listen you, to it. You, and try, weren't, you weren't thinking of "living in a box" by uh, by "living in a box." Yeah, what album was that on? Probably
2: living in a box
1: I think you're right
3: I still hear it When I listen to it tonight. I still hear living in a box
2: Mondegreen Is what we call that I hear Let me look at your front Little boy Let me look at your front Yeah Look at your front Yeah, yeah. Um, The song
1: itself uh, Apparently is about The drug use and delusions Of the wealthy and hedonistic It's a good line And if the rest of his book Was written as well as that I wouldn't have reviewed it So poorly on Amazon Take that Pete Townsend I have a voice now
4: Okay, so the eminence front is when the wealthy and hedonistic put on a front of eminence to excuse their bad behavior at a sleazy disco. Is that the idea, I guess?
1: Yeah. You know, sure. most, most okay. of the songs make perfect sense.
2: Yeah. Um... Uh, like Hunter was saying, this is a very, very, very cool disco dip. It's very well disguised, like a man in a van pretending to be a friend of your parents and telling you they're in the hospital or like that he lost a dog. Mm-hmm. It's a very good disguise. Yeah, you know, get away with a lot in the disguise. As good as this song, this disco song is disguised as a cool rock song. Yeah.
3: I, you know, I, 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 I'm back to thinking this isn't a disco song. I'm sorry. I think, Wait, let me, let me I think this to... is like Yeah, I think this is a white British funk song With synths Hence why they keep saying living in a funk It has a double <laughs> meaning That's why they say it
4: Well, this I is... think they're saying Eminem's front I think they're looking ahead To when Eminem would become a popular rapper 20 years later Or the candy that Pete uses
1: to uh, lure children Into his van that JD was talking about Oh, Eminem's front, yeah, yeah. Uh, This wasn't a very popular Who album <laughs> This is the only song they've played live after the initial tour. In fact, Daltrey stayed up said, Eminence Front was the only song on this album worthy of release. To which Pete replied,
2: Oi, I was doing research! <laughs> That's just his thing now. It's his, it's yeah. his twitch. Yeah. Come close him. I'm
0: doing research! I was doing research!
2: You want a sandwich, Pete? I'm doing research! JD, how big were those boobs in the European vacation? Yeah, I was going to say, we
3: just, <laughs> just made that joke in reference to JD.
2: They were, you know, they were... They were not big. I I knew what I was doing. I saw... I I looked at a still. I think maybe if I watched the scene, maybe they would have had some bounce to them, and that's where it fooled me. Well,
1: you gotta click on Google Image, Uh and then click through them. See, like, different angles.
2: Okay.
1: (laughs) Um... Where was I? There was a great review in Rolling Stone in the tradition where they take an aging band's new album and give it five
2: stars. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Paul McCartney still got it in 2017. Didn't even listen that close. Five stars. Paul McCartney. The tradition is more like, Ah, someone we remember. What must this
4: provenly great artist have to say about our modern times? Truly a statement for our modern times. Five stars. Uh... Park Peter yeah. that
3: was written by like a twenty four year old. Yeah. Uh, well, here, Park Peter who <laughs> well, Jan I comes assume, in, well,
2: Young Winter comes in. You gave a Paul McCartney album one star, you little piece of shit. You rewrite this and give it five stars, or you're on a roll. That's Paul Stone. fucking McCartney. He's a proven artist.
1: The uh, the review was something like, their most vital and coherent album since Who's Next. Uh, the dude that wrote it also proclaimed that the song I've Known No War was a song that became an anthem to our generation, much the way Won't Get Fooled Again did a decade ago. He was wrong, but the song really is quite incredible, this song. Uh, it's been used in countless movies and TV shows. I'm sure it was in an episode of Miami Vice yep. at some point. They were living in a funk on that episode. Yeah. <laughs> and most recently, it was used in the uh, 2016 GOP convention.
4: Mm. Oh, is, so it's about the drug use and delusions of the wealthy and hedonistic. Okay, yeah, that checks mm-hmm. out.
1: Well, the Who wouldn't release another studio album until 2006, which makes this the last studio album that John Entwistle played on.
2: Oh, and from the Rolling Stone review of that album, I looked it up, which is I is was it, doing research. Yeah, the, the album's called *Endless Wire*, reviewed by one David Frick, and he writes. In the, his liner notes, Townsend said he wrote a man in a purple dress after seeing Mel Gibson's film *The Passion of the Christ*. Yet it is easier to hear in the song's stark '63 Dylan bite. The public rush to judgment after Townsend's 2003 arrest for viewing child pornography online <laughs> (parentheses the charges were dropped). For four stars they gave the album. The Who's 2006 album They gave four stars for a veiled whine about being a victim even though he's the pedophile. If David Frick had done his research, as I so vigilantly do, he'd realize that this album is garbage. And I'm sorry to stay on the, their 2006 album, is totally irrelevant, but there's a song called Mike, Mike post, post Theme, theme. which yeah. sounds like it'd be a pretty great <laughs> song, yeah, right? Yeah, it should be yeah. awesome. The yeah. yeah, the Who's singing about Mike Post is awesome. The song has mandolin in it. Enough said. They blew it. <laughs> Huge disappointment. It,
3: mm. po- it was about a post. It was yeah. about an actual post. <laughs>
1: named Mike. Name Mike. Yeah. Uh, the video for this song is pretty great it's just them all showing up uh, to uh, uh, rehearsal and like Daltry gets out of a limo with girls and Pete gets out of a, actually it's a broken down van <laughs> you see like like a couple little heads poking out and people <laughs> pulling back in real quick
2: it's, it's my research van <laughs> my mobile research unit got cameras on the inside cameras on the outside cameras in the toilet just in case <laughs> a boy's locker room repair kit inside i don't know what accent i'm slipping in <laughs> uh, all right
1: <laughs> all right let's let's uh, keep going
0: we never thought we'd play this again but we've got kevin's blessing it's called number four <laughs> number four
1: I want to know everything about this band in the bumpers I want to know who Kevin is Why they weren't allowed to play band number 4 What colleges they got banned I from know, it's quite I am so engrossed You made it all the way to number 4 before. Yeah. breaking. Alright this is one of the obvious ones on the list It's 1978's Do You Think I'm Sexy From Rod Stewart's Blondes Have More Fun Album Oh, he was a blonde. Yeah, well, the album was a success, and the song went to number one, and it's not a very well-kept secret that the album title is the sole reason that Rod still bleaches his pubes. Mm Oh. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, this is disco. This is disco. Yes. Definitely disco. Have you ever seen the original video of Rod Stewart singing this? Uh, the answer to Do You Think I'm Sexy is no. Wait, hold on, wait, this is weird, but yeah, you actually do kinda look sexy, you bad-dancing weirdo, you, Rod Stewart.
1: This one is interesting as, uh, it was originally intended as a spoof. Uh, song co-writer Carmine Apiece, yes, THAT Carmine Apiece, said that the rock and roll guys thought they were dead meat when Saturday Night Fever came out. Another Bee Gees reference. Then Rod decided to do a dumb uh, spoof of disco. He then added, "There's no such thing as a dumb super success." Rolling Stone put this in their top 500 songs of all time. I think it was at 308, but I didn't actually look it up.
2: Uh, you, you talented people can't make jokes. That's, that's the <laughs> truth. Unless a talented joke, because they have great success. You look at Trump's the Trump presidency. He's a—he's very talented as a personality. You can't deny him that, and so he gets away with everything. So therefore, Rod Stewart is the disco Trump. I cannot find a flaw in that argument.
4: If if you're talking about how talented people can't—like they can't—they're too good to make things into a joke. Look at Holiday Road that we were just talking about. Lindsey Buckingham is still kicking himself for accidentally making that song that
1: good. Yeah. No, I wish it wouldn't have tried so hard on all those Fleetwood Mac albums. <laughs> uh, I talked briefly about the disco demolition night at the uh, the uh, cooler of the Chicago baseball team stadiums back in '79. <laughs> the DJ that organized it was a dude named Steve Dahl. He was a Chicago-based shot jack. That pulled stunts like that. He also made a parody song of uh, this called "Do You Think I'm Disco?" That probably did about as well as Disco Duck did for Rick D's. Disco Duck was a number one. Yeah, hit. I was gonna say. Yeah, it did great. No, this was this was a big, big deal. Do you think I'm disco? Am I superficial? Looking, it's my only goal. Oh, hard hitting. Uh, do you think I'm disco? Maybe it's not too late to get into rock and roll. Yeah,
3: Ooh. He, that was a. Being showy has always been a dog whistle.
1: Yeah, yeah. like uh, gay people or black people. People who ca- guys who care about looking good. Yeah. Oh, they must be a homo. Steve Dahl later famously said of The Demolition Night, uh, disco was on its way out, but he thinks that the publicity of the stunt sped up its demise. Uh, Steve also produced some other parodies. uh, Oh, boy. My Sharona with uh, Ayatollah, back for the uh, Iran hostage. uh, And uh, made fun of the John Wayne Gacy murders with Another Kid in the Crawl. Uh, He ended up taking it off the air after some of the parents of those dead kids (laughs) called the radio station to complain. He's still active today and runs the Steve Dahl Podcasting Network.
2: Uh, that's kind of the garbage world of, like, parody DJs that Weird Al managed to separate himself from. You know, he's my Sharona, my Bologna, voila, <laughs> stars born. Yeah, you it about food. The others are left. Yeah, he's <laughs> getting it all wrong. Mm-hmm. Should have done about food. Get back your podcast, Steve Dahl.
4: I, found the be- I, 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 I did my research. I found the best part of the Steve Dahl Wikipedia page. I'm going to read it here. Dahl decided to get a vasectomy in March 1989, which was performed live on the air at a urologist's office in Indiana.
1: across the border for cheaper rates. <laughs>
4: <laughs> According to Arbitron ratings for that survey period, Dahl and Myers ratings jumped from a tie for seventh place in afternoons to a tie for third place. All right. A lot of ratings ties (laughs) in the Chicago market. Uh, I got another fun fact. The chorus melody of this song was plagiarized from a Brazilian Tropicalia song by Jorge Ben called Taj Mahal, and they had to pay him money for it.
1: It's also got a string arrangement from a Bobby Womack song that he lifted. Hey. There you go. Didn't even write it.
2: Hey, you forgot to read this. Uh, HTTPS colon do, slash slash www.youtube.com backslash watch question mark V equals V3XFKWH EEL. It's case sensitive. Great.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Some uh, uppercase and lowercase there.
0: This is deeply personal song for all of us. It's called number three.
1: Number 3. All right, no surprises here. Nope. Mick Jagger had moved to New York by this time and he was hanging out at Studio 54. This song, Miss You, by the Rolling Stones, 1978. A
2: stable on classic rock radio. Yeah. Such a great under-the-radar mm-hmm. under, under the radar disco song.
1: But this was uh, directly influenced by all, the, uh, by all the disco he was hearing at Studio 54. In fact, Keith said that he didn't think much of the disco song at the time. We just wanted to put our oar into Mick, in on Mick, wanting to do some disco shit. Keep that man happy. But as we got into it, we realized maybe we've got a quintessential disco thing right here. And he was right. This is another one of these songs that hit number one. Jagger had a quote that speaks to JD's... uh JD's point. Uh, the song wasn't disco, disco. Disco records didn't have guitars much, and they all had shimmering and ooey, ooey girls. <laughs> it was influenced by that, but not exactly it. And then it goes on to sing, oo, oo, ooh oo, oo, oo. But that's him.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not an ooey, ooey. It's oo, oo. I mean, it's just another really, really good disco song by a bunch of cocky pedophile geniuses.
4: Mm-hmm. I'm starting to get more of a feel for the genre because after the last few songs those are are where these experiments really start to work and I think the key to a successful disco dip is that disco sounds best when it's kind of sleazy and if you have a sleazy side and you let the disco sound pull that out of you, you're probably going to have a pretty good song as a result and that's why Paul McCartney wasn't that comfortable with it and that's why Pete Townsend and Rod Stewart and Mick Jagger can all pull it off.
1: Cause they're gross. Yep. I, don't I don't know. He had a pichant for one, one-legged bitches. This is from the Some Girls album, which is my what? second favorite Stones album next to Sticky Fingers. And what impresses me is they have this amazing disco song on here, but the Stones could fucking do anything. They started as a blues band, uh, but they also wrote what I think is one of the best country albums of all time, Sticky Fingers. And uh, this album, Some Girls, includes The Girl with the Faraway Eyes, which I think is one of the best country songs. I just—it amazes me uh, their uh, diverse, diverse, di- versatility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Their versatility, versatility, and diverse is idness.
2: I thought you didn't like portmanteaus. It wasn't
1: on purpose. <laughs> and some of them work. Some of them are lazy.
2: I also like find- mandals. Oh, that's
1: a lazy portmanteau.
2: For postmanteau, was that a portmanteau on purpose? Yeah. Okay. Uh,
3: I find it interesting that so basically, by, at this point that this came out, the Clash had basically called the Stones out for being out of touch. At, paint-by-number rock stars uh, coming off shit like black and blue. And the Stones knew they were getting shit on by the punks. Uh, They also listened to them, but they knew they weren't as good as them. So they get influenced and motivated to make Some Girls, which is really a powerhouse album. And two years later is when The Clash expand their sound to make something like Magnificent Seven. I love rock and roll. (laughs) I love shit like that.
0: By little the way, friendly,
3: little friendly competition. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. By the way, the yeah. Stones have always seemed old, but Mick Jagger was 35 when he made this. That's old. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it's not that old. They seemed like they were in their 50s for forever. Well, when Steel Wheels came out, which was. This is their 89. comeback! In 89. In 89, they were calling it the Steel Wheelchairs Tour. Mm hmm. Yeah. And they were, what, in their 40s?
2: Yeah. Probably 50s. If you're 35, Maybe. when was this? 78. 78, 78. Yeah. yeah.
1: 79. 78 or 79.
0: 78. No. The copycats come and go, but this song proves we're here to stay. It's called Number 2. Number 2!
1: Oh, damn, I love The Kinks. And this was, this was a new one for me. I hope this is The Kinks. Yeah. Um... I never really paid attention to this song before. I mean, I had it on uh, Come Dancing or in like, some Greatest Hits comps. But apparently, Ray Davies wrote this. This is called uh, I Wish I Could Fly Like Superman from 1979. Uh, Ray Davies wrote this in response to Clive Davis, the head of uh, Arista Records, and responsible for more kick-ass artists than you can count in a Barry few Manalo. shitty ones.
0: <laughs>
1: Clive Davis asked Ray to write a song for uh, for the clubs. I almost said the Cubs. <laughs> that would have been awesome. I'm in your head now, Dave. I'm uh, uh, just squinting. Uh, I'm squinting. My, 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 uh, uh, Ray reportedly hated disco but crapped out this little gem just for the hell of it is um, a good song it's nice. it's thanks it's a, Hunter you've been a little, little slow on the draw today
3: uh, dude, sorry I, I'm just giving you time because I never know when somebody else is going to jump in this is a yeah. good call this is a good yeah, call it's a good song good song good deep dive mm-hmm. into the disco here
2: mm-hmm. um, this is this is on their low budget album the album's called Low Budget uh, it came out in 79 and everything else on the album sounds like you know just fine and kinksy now, there's a few songs before this one is called Catch Me, I'm Falling, so I would bet they needed a song called I Wish I Could Fly Like Superman to further tell the story of the falling person. Yeah. They were big into concept albums in yeah. the 70s.
1: The song was actually inspired by the 1978 movie Superman. Oh, never mm. heard of it. Uh, apparently, Ray was a big fan of the comic books, and he went to see the movie, and he got inspired when he saw Chris Reeve fly or walk or ride a horse or whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Again, this is a cool disco song You know what, and and it sort of got me thinking Like, a night full of these disco dips Would be a really fun dance night Just like these disco songs that are sort of elevated Somehow by the artistic integrity Of the people doing them, they feel a little different You know what
3: you're right. It yeah. would be a fun night. if your really disco fun. Disco doesn't
1: suck. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, I, you know, you leave out the. Uh... These are great songs. Maybe leave out the Beach Boys one.
2: Yeah, you leave out the you know ah, the it's... summer hits and everything. You do just songs like this by unlikely bands. I think it'd be a really fun dance night. I would, I would dance.
3: Yeah. J D, you still have to do your genre, your discount genre. Genre.
2: I know. I need help from people who know more because I really want to dig deep. All you have
3: to do is go find those like little known disco.
2: I I, I went that right? route. I'm gonna ask my friends at K F A I, like area. just check it out yeah i I look for stuff like that it's hard to find stuff but my guys at kfai they'll help me out once i'll email them when i'm ready now i'll wait a few months because we've just done a disco one but discount is in the pipeline Mm. someday
1: well this one's a goddamn badass jam to me this absolutely transcends disco as most of the songs on this list do even though it has the bass and the beat it's it's like an effortless effortless version of cameos word up It also gives a nod to Saturday Night Fever, as it states that he is a wreck, but staying alive. Just goes to show you how influential that soundtrack really was to most of the songs on this list.
4: I I think this song works again because Ray Davies has a secret sleazy side that's itching to get out. And it's more interesting to hear this kind of thing coming from the Kinks. Like, they don't normally get to work a groove like this, because they didn't start out with nearly as much R&B in their sound as the Stones or the Who, for example
3: yeah and the kinks need more respect especially their mid 70s to 80s stuff yeah they they were one of those bands i thought oh okay here's a british invasion like 60s band which it's like lola you really got me and not much else bullshit super prolific most of their albums came after that period and are all very eclectic and awesome
1: and what strikes me about this song is how ahead of a time it sounds. Even though it's rooted in disco, this could easily be like a late eighties pop song. It's it's surprising that the Kinks weren't a bigger band because they just have so much incredible music out there. Ray
2: Davies just never got that passport, did he? Yeah, they yeah. just they never couldn't got it. they couldn't
1: catch a break. Yeah.
4: yeah, they were just too damn British, which is something I was considering for my next genre. So I might do that now. Too
2: damn British. Too damn British. So what is it? Did people too British to like make a to huge trans- enough impact in the world? Crossover to, cross the yeah, over yeah, to the the American great audience? great British
4: bands that are super catchy and melodic and like just brilliant music, but they didn't catch on in America because something about them was too british i like that
1: yeah i, I think there's uh, some billy bragg songs that would fit in there really well
4: we'll see it's probably what? gonna be a two-parter oh, uh, no <laughs> more no two more parters. two-parters no, no more two-parters no it's gonna have to be
2: no well, no then, more two-parters uh, no. use your freaking editorial thing or top 10 not top 20 broken into two be editorial That's no, gonna have one. to be by decade god damn it
0: <laughs> anytime i think i'm no good at writing songs i remember this song It's a very
3: good song. It's called Number One. Number One! Yeah. Thank God this song came. Yeah. There's a real
1: cloud in this room. Yeah, oh my, what's it going to be? Of course this is my number one. Kiss did a disco song. Y'all know it. Shit, you probably all know the story. The story was that Gene Simmons was dating Donna Summer and she bet him he couldn't write a disco song. He set out to prove her wrong. The only problem? the story is completely false. Probably it's something I heard in my youth that I need to stop repeating. Here's the real story.
2: Who fills this guy's head with these
1: facts? (laughs) I mishear a lot of things. (laughs) you got to stop listening to people. Everyone's lying to you,
4: Dave. You confuse names in your head, too. A lot. Whenever you you walk, Whenever you walk around Dave... (laughs) I see what you did there.
3: Whenever you walk around Dave, he's always yelling about how he's doing (laughs) research. But then he always (laughs) has everything wrong. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. He's constantly doing research. He's constantly constantly being surprised and tired. I'm telling you he's doing
4: research. He mixed up Mark David Chapman and Mike Chapman at like two or three points in this outline. He did so much research,
1: too. Oh, my God. Mark oh. David Chapman shot Lennon and uh, liked Salinger. Sure. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Got it. Uh, all right. The real story is Paul wanted to write a disco song, and this was the first time that Kiss collaborated with the amazing songwriter Desmond Child, and it certainly wouldn't be the last. They also brought in Vinnie Poncia, who was a songwriter and a producer. He produced Peter Chris's solo album, which is funny, because he didn't want Peter to play drums on this, stating that he was unfit. Uh, oh, well, so he produced the guy's
3: album, so he wouldn't know yeah so I, so the, I think he may have produced both of Peter Chris's yeah. solo
4: albums
1: So like, <laughs> there weren't, it wasn't just one well Peter's in the uh, video but uh, on the recording you're hearing the old standboy An standboy by standby boy, boy standboy the old standboy Anton Fig backlash from kiss fans same story they were accused of selling out to disco i
4: love the idea that kiss fans would be upset about kiss selling out <laughs> yeah
1: these guys are doing it for the money
2: yeah i mean you, like it some, used to be about the music yes yeah, someone the ha- costumes you gotta dump all your scruples anyway to become a kiss fan so like how can a song like this kiss how can it piss them off it rocks harder than the less candy ass
0: beth Bridge yeah. less
2: candy at some bet, I
1: should say. Another, uh, another uh, Peter Chris song. Yeah. Out! Out! They brought in Eric Carr, and uh, he steered it away from uh, the disco feel, made it more rocking. I-, I love that Kiss and the Grateful Dead have a
3: similar story when it comes to <laughs> disco. I love rock and roll. we talking about it. Uh, disco. this Disco is fun. I don't know how you get. white people. I oh, thought it sucked, Dave. Um, if you if you hate when your favorite band goes disco, you just hate fun, and are an awful person. I can see them hating when they did a concept album, because because concepts are yeah, always yeah. a little fun. tough
1: to wrap your head around.
3: Yeah, but uh, but disco song, come on, Dave. No, it's hey. fun. All right, it's a great I wanna, song.
1: I want to get to the bottom of this whole like, thing no. I fucking love disco. I've been obsessed with it for years. My disco selection is ample.
4: Well, you've been obsessed with the Village People for years.
1: Yeah, it was one of my first favorites. Yeah. And I listened to them way after it was cool. Like, you know, today. Uh, where were we? I Just just imagine Dave
3: rolling around town with the Disco Sucks bumper sticker, sticker listening to the
0: Village People. Next to my... Next <laughs> so to my, confusing.
1: Yeah. Well, I like the idea. I was being ironic
2: to the people that thought Disco Sucks. He kind, of, kind of reminds me of an anti gay Idaho senator, you know? <laughs> who's, secre- who's
1: secretly really gay. Yeah.
2: The Larry Craig of this podcast. Yeah.
1: Why does Dave keep tapping my foot every time I poop next to him?
0: <laughs> Fun fact about this video. To a disco beat. <laughs>
1: Four on the floor, buddy. <laughs> Uh, Fun fact about this video, if you watch the Kiss Shreds video, this is a video they take it from, and if you haven't seen it, it's my absolute favorite. You guys know the Shreds videos, right? Uh, Best thing on the internet. Uh, They play a song called, I will never go to school. It's fantastic. (laughs) I especially like the line, Bruce likes a trophy. (laughs) Pure genius. And Kiss was one of those early bands I got into as a kid. I included a photo in your notes. Uh, it's me opening a birthday present. It was Return of the Jedi ATST Walker. I'm wearing a Superman shirt. Behind me on the walls, an Afghan my mom or my grandma made me that had my name in it, and a big old All I poster. See is it just says Yo. Big. Well, that's the YO and Lions. And a big old poster, of kiss. And you look
2: like four. You're like four and you're a big kiss fan.
1: Well, I was a little kid. I was I was slight, uh, but you know, yeah, well, four, when four. did Jedi come out? Eighty three. So I would have been seven. Okay. That was my. That would have been my seventh birthday, maybe. Um, Just starting to get into the Village People. Yeah, no, I was way into the Village People. I was. Oh. Now I know I was probably only attracted to them at the time because of the pageantry. But as I got older, I really started to enjoy them, and uh, although never took them seriously until I saw them live with Ted Nugent and Skid Row back in the nineties. One hell of a badass concert! It was the first of their farewell tours.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw them at. Uh... In their first, when they put the makeup back on with everybody at Tiger Stadium when they did their first one. That was fun to see a concert in Tiger Stadium.
2: Do they still have the arena football team in LA? In like Long Beach or something? The LA Kiss? Yeah. I don't I don't know. Know. They had a that a show a <laughs> couple years ago, a reality show, but I'm not survived. Hey, good job, Dave. Hey, thanks. If anything, this list has taught me that it's really hard for successful geniuses to properly sell out. So rest assured, fellas, when I go out, when I sell out, and I join the next Sklar Brothers podcast, <laughs> it will sound a hell of a lot like Beyond Yacht Rock. You change your name to JD Sklar. Yeah, is, they, it like
4: a, is it like a Ramones thing where everybody
2: joins and they have to change their name to the? Yeah, I'm working star. on I'm working on a second voice of my own that is slightly different than the voice I usually use. So it'd be okay. like, Hey, how's it going? I'm JD Sklar, and I'm and I'm Randy Sklar. Oh, this is this is really scar. Listen, J- JD's leaving. You gotta all, work
3: on it a little. All us you know. Michigan State guys to go hang out with a couple more Wolverines. Yeah,
2: Wolverines. We are smart. Um, what well, didn't make the list? Oh, I got one. Got a Boogie by Weird Al. Yeah. It's one of my favorite originals of his. It's a ridiculously fast disco song that is- it's revealed to be about a booger on his finger. Oh, so, spoiler Eddie, alert. And he
1: can't shake it yeah. off. Yeah.
2: It also includes a lyric, <laughs> I was burning up the floor like a disco maniac. So yeah, sure it's satire, but it's still a dip. Yeah.
3: Uh, criminal, that something from Pink Floyd's The Wall didn't make the list. They're too slow. Fam- famously, Another Brick in the Wall Part two, or maybe Run Like Hell.
4: Yeah, they ride that hi hat in there. They just...
1: Yeah, that. But, what song but are you doing? Uh,
4: uh, He's doing a wall. really up tempo version of. Uh...
1: But it's like, We don't need no. Way. You know how it goes. No, I don't. Keep doing it. Well, how's the it's, bass?
3: Does, is that octave bass going on in there? Yeah.
1: You know, you know <laughs> how it goes. You know the song.
4: Um, I can't <laughs> believe that nobody insisted that the Holly song I found way too late in the game didn't should, should have made this list and pushed something else off. So I want all of you to go find Wiggle That What's It on YouTube. And see if you think Stephen Stills or Graham Nash had the worst. Here's dip. why.
3: Here's why I didn't make it, because you're because you you showed us how dismissive you are of any suggestions that we've made when Dave yeah. made a suggestion for you, and then promptly announced, "Oh, by the way, I'm going to do two shows of that."
1: No, I doubt that'll be it. But uh, mine's a two-parter.
4: <laughs> also, That's great. Uh,
1: but also, uh, I did look at that, Long and Hard. Uh, that came out in 67, and I was really trying to... 67? 76. Uh, but I was... <laughs> yeah, uh, close enough. Maybe, maybe I'm just dyslexic. Um, Michael Chapman, Mike, Mark, David. Okay. Uh, but the thing was, I wanted to showcase songs that happened after the Saturday Night Severs... Saturday Night Oh, uh, Okay, okay, that makes the, sense. The Alan Thick vehicle came uh, out.
2: Uh, next week we're good. It's our annual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yeah. r- rock out. Uh, we did it last time. We just go through the nominees. Well, after this time, it'll
3: be our annual. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Second <laughs> annual. <laughs> Normally we do yacht rock on the
4: tens, but because of the way the episode numbers fall, we want to get it in before the voting period ends.
2: To influence all you music journalists like David Frick's vote. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so, you know, we're just going to go down each nominee and, you know, say whether or not, just some little chit-chat, whether or not we think we, they should make it in. And, and we we'll pick, we'll pick one each. And then favorites. we each feature one of our favorites that we go into depth on and make a real argument.
3: Yeah, the ones. one that we that we think should...
1: Yeah, Steve's already yeah. written seven pages on Judas Priest.
2: Oh, really? Spoiler alert. Oh,
1: Jesus. Yeah, you should see the documents.
2: Edit it. Edit it. It's going to be a two-parter. Thanks to Ben Mullins for sending in those awesome bumpers. He's not really on the social media, but he would like to plug his mad skills as a programmer who does Drupal. I'm, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Many other I kinds it of is, programs. It is. I think it is. Or
3: Drew Paul. No. <laughs> is that
2: Drupal? <Drew> <laughs> Drupal's drag race. It's Drupal. <laughs> Drupal's programming race. So if you're hiring, check out... I made this tiny URL for him to get to his LinkedIn. <laughs> Tinyurl.com backslash ben. Hire him. He needs money to buy things for his new baby. Oh, they're so expensive! And
3: don't mm-hmm. don't go to the other bumper Ben mm-hmm. site. Mm-hmm. Go no. Yeah, you, you that's you're that not going to like
2: that one. <laughs> also, check
4: out Ben's two albums of electronic music on the Ghostly International label under the name Midwest Product.
1: And check out uh, old Hollywood Steve Huey. He's going to be on the Radio Eight Ball podcast here on uh, Yes. Uh,
4: was released today it's, as of this, uh, this as of this as of this, re- as of this
2: morning when we recorded this episode. So it's out there. When's yours coming out? Is it out already?
1: Uh, it's Pro- probably a ways down the road.
2: Okay, um, <laughs> they were,
1: you know, they they wanted to, to season the show a little bit before it came on. They wanted to iron out the kinks,
2: cool. <laughs> kind
1: of uh, like we did today with number
2: two. Oh, big shout out to Patricia Whitaker. Yeah, she's, she's yeah, been, she's really been working hard on improving our social media presence, and it's all her ideas She came to us, volunteered. Uh, she's doing a great job. So follow her on Twitter at York Whitaker. She's also really, really into the yacht rock genre, mm-hmm. and is a great follow.
1: Yeah, I could probably learn a thing or two about Yacht Rock from her. (laughs) Um, uh, um, Do it. You
3: can catch Dave's band, the very scary boys, playing a Misfits tribute at a house party in Los Feliz (laughs) this weekend.
1: He's 41. (laughs) Uh, The thing is, I think think this episode, I don't know when this episode drops, and I didn't look it up, but I think I'm going to play the show before the episode drops. So.
3: Oh, well then, uh, then, oh. well, then just go over to Dave's house. We'll play you a little set. Yeah, the yeah. very
1: scary boys are a, a combination of uh, local LA bands, Karate the Band, and the very nice boys. And they get together. They're the very scary boys, and they play Halloween shows. Yeah, it's going to be great.
2: Uh, Patreon nicknames for our Patreon patrons. Okay, here they come. Uh,
3: we got Jordan Hard to Killian. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got uh, Jason Go Go Bootlegger Kennedy. We got Michael Lonely Staghart, we got Sale, Take the Cannoli cat- Cataldo, <laughs> uh, we got, and we got uh, Dan, Rough Toilet Paper Tierney. Tierney.
2: Tierney. Okay. What? Rough Toilet Paper. I don't know. Hey, RTP. <laughs> <laughs> what? These all have very smart hidden jokes, and I just can't find them. But they're there. I know they're there. No, I I'm just tight, I just went yeah, to the so bathroom.
1: It's a. Oh, oh so you
2: just okay. <laughs> yeah, he did the. He wrote these on the toilet. <laughs> it's biographical. Uh,
3: well, the first one is a uh, is it's a Stephen Seagal, a Steven I Seagal movie. One. I know that one. Uh, Kennedy was were bootleggers. bootleggers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Hart. I looked it up. I was gonna call him the uh, missing E. But uh, <laughs> but I looked up what heart is because I want to know why people spell it that way. Apparently, it's a stag.
4: Okay. Yeah, it's an old timey word for it. Um,
3: and uh, that's the uh, next one is a Godfather reference. Of course, of course. And I, I had just gone to the bathroom.
4: Okay, perfect. And we've got to get you some two play.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: it's, uh, it's because Dan Tierney doesn't take no shit.
2: Find this week's Disco Dips playlist by following JD Riznar on Spotify. Go to Outrock dot com. It's a useful experience. We got some buttons. We got some T-shirts. Uh we'll have tote bags up very soon. Pass them out to the guys. They're nice tote bags. They're
3: record bags.
2: Record bags. You can tote records. We're not NPR. JD, you, you stick can, to the
3: brand. Yeah,
1: okay, you could you could tote records. You could record totes. It's
3: you can put some put some of your sailing related stuff inside the bag
1: nothing
2: too big though <laughs> <laughs> no boats uh, go to yachternyacht.com take a look at the Yatsky scale send questions via twitter at yacht rock like yacht rock on facebook follow beyond yacht rock on instagram rate and review us on apple Podcasts so we pick up heat and we become the number one music podcast themes by rob crow and mark rivers thanks to producer Matt brousseau and the entire feral audio family check out all their podcasts at feralaudio.com it's a website Go there.
3: And what's uh? how do you join our Slack channel?
2: Oh, anybody, well, you can either donate at a certain level on Patreon, or if you've ever made a bumper for us, or written an article for the Captain's blog, just go ahead and email us and say you want in on the Slack channel. I know who you are. Yeah, well, we know how to get you in. Yeah.
0: Feral Audio.